0: section ten of a history of our own times volume four by justin mccarthy this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter fifty two the leap in the dark part one the autumn and winter of agitation passed away and the time was at hand when the new ministry must meet a new session of parliament the country looked with keen interest and also with a certain amused curiosity to see what the government would do with reform in the session of eighteen sixty seven when lord derby took office he had not in any way committed himself and his colleagues against a reform bill on the contrary he had announced that nothing would give him greater pleasure than to see a very considerable proportion of the now excluded class admitted to the franchise but he had qualified this announcement by the expression of a doubt whether any measure of reform on which the two great political parties could agree would be likely to satisfy the extreme reformers or to put a stop to the agitation. More than once, Lord Derby had intimated plainly enough that he was willing to make one other effort at a settlement of the question. But if that effort should not succeed, he would have nothing more to do with the matter. He was well known to have taken office reluctantly, and he gave it to be clearly understood that he did not by any means propose to devote the remainder of his life to the business of rolling reform bills a little way up the parliamentary hill, merely in order to see them rolled down again. Most persons assumed, however, that Mr. Disraeli would look at the whole question from a different point of view, that he had a personal and natural ambition still to gratify, and that he was not likely to allow the position of his party to be greatly damaged by any lack of flexibility on his part the conservatives were in office but only in office they were not in power the defection among the liberals and not their own strength or success had set the tories on the ministerial benches they could not possibly keep their places there without at least trying to amuse the country on the subject of reform the great majority of liberals felt sure that some effort would be made by the government to carry a bill but their general impression was that it would be a measure cleverly put together with the hope of inducing the country to accept shadow for substance and that nothing would come of it except an interval during which the demand of the unenfranchised classes would become more and more earnest and impassioned it had not entered into the mind of any one to conceive that lord darby's government were likely to entertain the country by the odd succession of surprises which diversified the session, and to assist at the gradual formation, by contribution from all sides, sets, and individuals, of a reform measure far more broadly liberal and democratic than anything which Lord Russell and Mr. Gladstone would have ventured or cared to introduce. Parliament opened on February 5, 1867 the speech from the throne alluded as everyone had expected that it would to the subject of reform your attention so ran the words of the speech will again be called to the state of the representation of the people in parliament and then the hope was expressed that your deliberations conducted in a spirit of moderation and mutual forbearance may lead to the adoption of measures which without unduly disturbing the balance of political power shall freely extend the elective franchise. The hand of Mr. Disraeli, people said, was to be seen clearly enough in these vague and ambiguous phrases. How, it was asked, can the franchise be freely extended in the reformer's sense without disturbing the balance of political power unduly in Mr. Disraeli's sense? Again and again in session after session, he had been heard arguing that a great enlargement of the suffrage to the working classes must disturb the balance of political power that it would in itself be a disturbance of the balance of political power that it would give an immense preponderance to a class homogeneous such was mr disraeli's favourite word in their interests and fashions how then could he now offer to introduce any such change and what other change did anyone want? What other change would satisfy anybody who wanted a change at all? More and more the conviction spread, more and more the conviction spread that Mr. Disraeli would only try to palm off some worthless measure on the House of Commons, and by the help of the insincere reformers and the Adullamites, endeavor to induce the majority to accept it people had little idea however of the flexibility the government were soon to display the history of parliament in our modern days or indeed in any days that we know much of has nothing like the proceedings of that extraordinary session on february eleventh mr disraeli announced that the government had made up their minds to proceed by way of resolution the great difficulty he explained in the way of passing a reform bill was that the two great political parties could not be got to agree beforehand on any principles by which to construct a measure. Let us then, before we go to work at the construction of a reform bill this time, agree among ourselves as to what sort of measure we want. The rest will be easy. He therefore announced his intention to put into the parliamentary cauldron a handful of resolutions out of which, when they had been allowed to simmer, would miraculously arise the majestic shape of a good reform bill made perfect mr disraeli relied greatly on the example afforded by the construction of the new system of government for india as an encouragement to the course he now recommended we have seen that after the suppression of the indian mutiny there was much difficulty felt about the creation of a new scheme for the government of india the house of commons then agreed to proceed carefully by way of resolution in the first instance and thus got the principles on which they proposed to govern india completely settled before they set about embodying them in practical legislation only the curious ingenuity of mr disraeli's mind could have discovered any resemblance between the two cases when parliament had to take on itself the government of india the first difficulty was to settle the principles on which india could best be governed it was not a question of party one party was as much in difficulty as another neither was pledged to any particular course it was a time for consultation for the hearing of all opinions for the consideration and comparison of all testimonies and suggestions it was in short a time of novelty and of uncertainty when the only reasonable course was for the two great parties to take informal counsel before either committed itself to any defined scheme or even principle of action what resemblance did such a condition of things bear to that in which the parliament found itself now that it had to consider the subject of an extended franchise the difficulty arose not from a lack of knowledge but from the existence of different opinions and different principles All that could be got at in the way of information had been times out of mind showered out over the whole subject of reform. It had been discussed down to the very dregs in Parliament after Parliament. Neither of the two great political parties wanted more information of any kind, but both having long been in possession of all the information accessible to the quest of man, they were unable to agree as to the course which ought to be taken and differed absolutely in their political principles. One party was pledged by its traditions and its supposed interests to oppose a popular suffrage. The other was pledged in exactly the same way to support it. What possible chance was there of a common ground being found by the discussion of a series of resolutions? If either party was willing to compromise, it had only to say so two sentences would sufficiently explain what the compromise was to be each saw as distinctly as the other what it wanted to have if either was willing to renounce any part of its supposed claim it would be enough to say so a suitor asks for a girl in marriage her father refuses to consent would the two be brought any nearer to an agreement if they were to hold a solemn conference and draw up a series of resolutions setting forth what in the opinion of each were the true conditions of a happy union just as well might mr disraeli and mr bright have set about drawing up a series of resolutions to embody what each thought of the conditions of a reform bill the resolutions which mr disraeli proposed to submit to the house were for the most part sufficiently absurd some of them were platitudes which it could not be worth any while to take the trouble of affirming by formal resolution what advantage could there be in declaring by resolution that it is contrary to the constitution of this realm to give to any one class or interest a predominating power over the rest of the community whoever said or was likely to say that to give one class a preponderating power over the rest of the community was in accordance with the principles of the constitution even if jack Cade were prepared to demand such a power for his own class he would not take the trouble of trying to convince people that it could be done in conformity with the existing principles of the constitution to what purpose was the house of Commons invited to declare that in any redistribution of seats the main consideration should be the expediency of supplying representation to places not at present represented and which may be considered entitled to that privilege what other main consideration could any sane person have in preparing a scheme for the redistribution of seats it would be as wise to recommend the judges of our civil courts to declare by a formal resolution that their main consideration in hearing cases should be to allow litigants an opportunity of setting forth their claims and obtaining justice but then on the other hand it has to be observed that most of the resolutions which were not simple truisms embodied propositions such as no prime minister could possibly have expected the house to agree on without violent struggles determined resistance and eager divisions the principle of rating as a basis of qualification the device of plurality of votes the plan of voting by means of polling papers these were some of the propositions which mr disraeli calmly suggested that the house should affirm along with the declarations that one party ought not to have all the power and that the object of redistribution was to redistribute properly the liberal party especially that section of it which acknowledged the authority of mr bright would have had to be beaten to its knees before it would consent to accept some of these devices mr disraeli seems to have learned almost at once from the demeanour of the house that it would be hopeless to press his resolutions on february twenty fifth he quietly substituted for them a sort of reform bill which he announced that the government intended to introduce the occupation franchise in boroughs was to be reduced to six pounds and in counties to twenty pounds in each case the qualification to be based on rating that is the right of a man to vote was to be made dependent on the arrangements by his local vestry or other rate imposing body there were to be all manner of fancy franchises a man who had fifty pounds in the funds or had thirty pounds in a savings-bank and had kept that amount untouched for a year was to be rewarded with the vote if he had given a ten-pound note to his daughter to buy her wedding clothes or had laid out five pounds in the burial of a poor and aged parent or lent a sovereign to a friend in distress he would of course be disenfranchised by his improvidence if he paid twenty shillings in direct taxes during the year he was to have a vote if he bore the degree of a university or was a minister of religion a lawyer a doctor or a certified schoolmaster he was to have the franchise a whimsical sort of educational franchise which would have refused a vote to mr bright mr cobden mr mill or to mr disraeli himself there seemed something unintelligible or at least mysterious about the way in which this bill was introduced it was to all appearances not based upon the resolutions certainly it made no reference to some of the more important of their provisions we need not go into the plan of redistribution which was tacked to the bill for the bill itself never had any substantial existence the house of commons received with contemptuous indifference mr disraeli's explanation of its contents and the very next day mr disraeli announced that the government had determined to withdraw it and to give up at the same time the whole plan of proceeding by resolution and to introduce a real and substantial reform bill in a few days. End of section 10.